Welcome to the C-Suite podcast from the FinTech Talents Festival here at the Brewery in London. We're producing this show in partnership with Andaria, experts in scalable embedded finance solutions. I'm your host, Graham Barrett, and I'm going to be interviewing the key speakers here on Andaria's stand. Hope you enjoy the conversations. Okay, I'm here with Nirav Patel, CEO of Andaria. Nirav, nice to see you here. Pleasure to be here and thank you for having me. Yeah, so we're here at FinTech Talents, obviously. Why did Andaria decide to sponsor this event? I think for us, we've been working tirelessly in the background to really go and build out and bring together the embedded finance proposition. And this is really our opportunity to go and showcase that for the first time. So really exciting, really happy to be here and a great kind of moment in the in the journey of Vandaria. Yeah, I mean, there's a real buzz, isn't there, about the event here today. What are you hoping to get out of the event? Uh, really showcasing what Embedded is all about. I think a big chunk of what Embedded is is kind of misconstrued sometimes and confused. So we're really looking to push out some thought leadership and really helping to educate the, the ecosystem, if you like, and then really put forward what the proposition is all about. So it's a, it's a great opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. You're also speaking here at the event, aren't you? You're on a yeah. panel around, obviously, <laughs> embedded finance and, and what that involves. What are the key points you're looking to make? Uh, really, as I said right at the, right the beginning, it was that education piece. So I think really putting out there what embedded is and not kind of misconstruing it with the other things that are out there. And also just to showcase the sheer opportunity within the market. I think we are very much at the tip of the iceberg when it comes to embedded finance. So it's the opportunity to really put forward what we know and what we understand from the hard yards that have been put in. And also just to give a flavor of where the opportunity is going in the long term. How do you personally define embedded finance? Because I've heard a lot of definitions here today. What, what do you put it down to? I'll, I'll keep it really simple. We allow our clients to focus on what they're really good at. And in that journey, we allow ourselves to focus on what we're very good at, which means you bring together a fusion of two different spheres. So financial services integrated into a non-financial company or business that's ultimately it. As, as simple as it can be put, I think that, that's the only way I'd describe it. Tell us about some of the use cases then, maybe. We, we've got some really exciting ones coming up. Uh, you would have previously maybe heard me talk about some industries that, again, are still moving forward, but the really exciting ones is within the fan space, uh, specifically with some uh, interesting football clubs, let's just say, in the UK. Uh, I won't mention names again, I've got a habit of doing that. Um, but really it's uh, an exciting proposition that really puts the fans at the centre of what we're doing. And I think that's important, especially when you look at cost of living crisis and everything that's happening. And I think football or sports generally is an out from, from kind of day-to-day -day hardships. And it's really utilising our solution to reinforce that, but also provide a platform that allows streamlining and efficiency but focused with fans at the very center of everything that we're doing. Yeah, because one of the things that embedded finance provides is that customer loyalty, isn't it? That's right. And who are more loyal than sports fans? There's nothing more tribal than a sports fan, right? So the, the loyalty bit is already ingrained mm. and therefore the journey is somewhat simplified. Now, if you can add a, a community element to that and really solve a, not a problem I wouldn't say, but really solve a way of how you can kind of make that journey for the fan improved, more diverse, more efficient, more cost effective, 
I think those are the bits that we're really delivering within our embedded finance solution. What would it look like in practice? I mean, would you have maybe a credit card of that particular sports team? This is the beauty of it, right? So what we don't want to do is dilute our, our clients, so the football club at hand. So it's important that the brand is not diluted in any way. You as a fan would naturally have the app on your phone. All we're doing is adding an enhanced product to that. So it's essentially a, a debit solution. It's a multi-currency account. You get a branded card that looks and feels like your football club. You can spend that within the stadium at, at a discount, uh, plug in the loyalty platform, and then still spend that outside and still gain loyalty points and rewards. So it's a win-win, it's which is the beauty. Now that's going to keep you very busy. What about your other priorities for Andaria over the next 12 months? Sure, I, th I think very much the, the two areas of focus is, I call it the membership space, and that can be anything that's community related, but that also encapsulates the fan base and so on. And the other sector is mobility, and again, very wide ranging. That can be anything from uh, mobility like uh, e-cab services, deliveroos or, or, or the likes, uh, kind of anything within that mobility space is definitely an opportunity. And then I feel like where we can have the most impact is within the community space. because so I think it, it aligns with our values as a brand as to what we want to do. And I think not only offering a financial services solution, but doing something that gives a helping hand to the community. I think by doing that under our memberships umbrella is, is really something that's the key focus for us. Well, I think as you mentioned earlier, you know, you're really only scratching the surface here. Yeah. There seem to be new opportunities popping up all over the place. Would that be fair? There are, and I think one of our challenges will be to say no, um, <laughs> which will be very interesting. Again, our focus, I think our focal point from a strategic point of view is clear. The element of as long as we are helping and not purely doing it just for the intent of profiteering, for example, I think those principles will be core to who we go and work with going forward. Yeah, they sound very sound principles. So Nirav Patel, thank you for joining me here today. Thank you very much. Okay, I'm here with Victor Cruz. He's the CEO of VC Innovations. They're the organizers of this fantastic event. Nice to see you, Victor. Good, I like the fantastic <laughs> Thank you very much. No, not at all. Thanks for coming. No, great, great to have the... Uh, the C-Suite podcast in the house. Yeah, yeah it's thanks been, for taking the time. No, brilliant. Thanks so much for inviting us. This is a brilliant venue here at the brewery. Um, but you haven't always been here, have you? Tell us a little bit about no. the history no. of FinTech Talents. The brewery, it's, a, it's an excellent uh, venue. It's not the XL. No. I mean, fair play to the XL, but it's a bit, it's a bit, it's a bit like torture, traveling <laughs> all the way to the XL for an expo, um, so <laughs> that's what we are not. Yeah, we create a very, we try to create a very immersive and you know, intimate experience. Yeah, it's very vibrant in here, isn't it? Is that? I mean, how do you create this atmosphere? Because it's completely different to some of the fintech events that I've been to. Yeah, look, I think it's you know, the first thing. It's about uh, the audience that is underpinned by you know, the content. So we're very big on content. Um, and we're very big on the audience makeup, and yes, and I think the you know the experience is the icing on the cake. Yeah. So as you can see, you know we've got a DJ playing live sets. Yep. The craft beer bar is going to go on. <laughs> it's going to open up very soon. Yep. We've got a number of um, you know exhibitors, you know creating content and podcasts, and there's a hosted buyer program on the ground floor. We're actually very proud about the Hosted Buyer program. It is the largest UK hosted uh, FinTech Hosted Buyer program. So that's up and running. Uh, it's going really, really well. 
Um, but yeah, it's uh, our fifth our fifth anniversary. Yeah, and you're always trying to go bigger and better every year, I guess, aren't you? What are some of the highlights of this year's event? Man, I think it's it's kind of growing, but it's I, I like the sustainable growth kind of vision. Uh, you know, it's not too big, it's not too small. Again, it's intimate, um, and it's great to have you know the likes of Fundaria leveraging the platform in you know, a pre-event during event post event to engage with our community you know hopefully make some some then new connections and yeah and i think you need a you need an intimate setup yeah. you know, content led intimate setup so that's what we you know that's what we what we try to do yeah and what's your particular role on the day what what are you doing are you going around all the stands having the conversations yeah i'm the chief troublemaker officer <laughs> as my team like to Look, I just love, you know, chatting to innovators. I love getting to know our clients. You know, I love understanding, uh, you know, why delegates come to the show. Yeah. So I literally spend two days on the festival floor uh, just chatting to people, getting to know what they're working on, what solutions they are after. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's pretty much what I do. Yeah, and no, that must be really satisfying, kind of facilitating all these conversations. You know that we look around us and on all the different stands, there are all these conversations taking place. That you know you've brought all these people together. It must be satisfying. Yeah, I think it, it goes back to the audience makeup. It goes back to you know trying to build that audience in a very sophisticated way. You know the show is not a free for all. No. So there is a there is an application process. Uh, which you know is nicely done, yeah. But we are ultimately, you know, looking to attract, you know, innovators from across the ecosystem. Um, but also, you know, there is a big amount of effort around understanding the buy side, you know, ecosystem. You know, what are financial institutions? What are challenger players? What are marketplaces? digital platforms, brands, e-commerce players, what are they looking for? Is it cloud? Is it data analytics? Are they looking for a new IDV provider? You know, is it BAS? Is it embedded finance? Uh, so that's a big part of the process. You know, really trying to understand what that buy-side audience is trying to achieve and then matching that against, you know, companies that can yeah. address objectives, drivers, inhibitors. And I guess that's how you can evolve the festival in years to come by, you know, listening and having those conversations. Now, I know we're right in the middle of this event, but what does the future hold for fintech talents? Look, I think for me, it's about sustainable growth. I think what people love about fintech talents is that intimate, you know, nature of the, the event property. It is about influencing the audience makeup and it's about influencing the content narrative and influencing the experience. That's, that's our ingredient. Do we want to be a money 2020? No, thank you. Okay. I don't think FinTech needs another no. money 2020. <laughs> um, so I, I think we've got a very, we are very well placed from a demand gen, from a, you know, brand awareness, from, um, from a marketing uh, perspective, I think fintech talents is well placed, and that that's our magic formula. You know, our retention rate—it's very close to 100 percent. 
So every client that you see here today, or delegate, it's very likely they're going to be here next year. So we're very proud of that. Keep it simple, keep it honest, and, and, and focus on value creation. Yeah, no, it sounds like you've really carved your own little niche here, and that's, that's amazing with the Rose retention rate. So, well, this has been a fantastic event this year. Thanks for inviting us. Thanks for being on the podcast, Victor Cruz. Thanks for coming. Okay, I'm here with Anjali Singh. She is the founder of Health Wallet. Anjali, nice to see you here today. Lovely to meet you. Now tell me about Health Wallet. Who are you guys and what are you trying to do? Um, so Health Wallet wants to really transform the healthcare funding landscape in the UK. We all know about the long waiting lists in the NHS, um, but also we know that uh, private medical insurance and other funding mechanisms out there aren't as comprehensive. They exclude many conditions. Uh, pre-existing chronic conditions. So what we want to do is bring the power of fintech, bring the power of embedded finance to create and develop a new way of funding healthcare. Okay. So, which is a kind of, it's a use first, pay later, rather than a pay first, use later yeah. model. So tell me, how would I use that from a consumer point of view? I presume I need to download your app. Is that where it starts? Yeah, so um, the, the very first thing is you would download uh, a health wallet app you would pay uh, a subscription, uh, and uh, as soon as you download the app, you 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 are then you, you can then access a health wallet credit card, which could be a virtual card uh, in the first instance, um, and then as soon as you download your virtual card, you're off in the sense that you can then pay for healthcare uh, services, and on the back of paying for those services, you can then get cashback rewards as well as interest-free payment plans. Yeah. And tell me about the kind of demographic you're aiming for here. Is this uh, pretty much everyone or is there someone in particular that you're, you're trying to reach more? So we're aiming for four uh, main uh, segments. And the first is what I call the older demographic. So people within the age bracket of 45 and 65 uh, who potentially don't have med uh, medical insurance of any sort. But for them, health is quite front of mind because, you know, it's in this age range that things start going going wrong and you realize that actually, um, you know, health should become a priority. Um, so that's the first demographic. The second is what I call the, uh, the gig economy worker or the freelancer contractor market, uh, which typically don't have access to workplace benefits and therefore don't have access to health insurance or a health cash plan. Um, and this is a growing segment, you know, there, there are more and more people who work in the gig economy. Um, people who currently pay for private medical insurance might consider this as, a, as an alternative. Uh, and also people who currently self-pay, i.e. they pay up front for healthcare purchases. This might become a way uh, to get access quicker in, in, into the private healthcare market. Okay, great. Now you mentioned embedded finance here and how you're, you're trying to bring the power of fintech into to what you're doing here at Health Wallet. So how can embedded finance help you guys? How are you utilizing that? Um, so what we're doing is we're creating effectively a health front end. So whenever I think about embedded finance, I think about the definition, which is um, embedding financial services in, in an otherwise non-financial product. And I think Health Wallet is, is really kind of the poster child of that definition because what we're trying to do is we're trying to create a healthcare product and, 
and we're saying that we're going to embed a lending or a credit proposition within an otherwise healthcare product. So that's that's the reason embedded finance is so important to this proposition. Yeah, I think that was the perfect definition. So, <laughs> <laughs> Angeli Smith, thanks so much for joining me here today. Thank you very much. Okay, I'm here with Carl McCartney. He's the Customer Experience Director at Les Mills. Carl, nice to see you here today. Thanks for having me, Graham. Start by giving us an introduction to Les Mills, maybe, and how the business is set up. Les Mills is a, a fitness company we founded in 1968. Les Mills is actually an Olympic and Commonwealth athlete based out of Auckland in New Zealand, former mayor of New Zealand, and, and started a chain of gyms. Why I'm saying that is because his son then created a, a suite of group training programs which were launched in the early 90s and are now featuring over 110 countries around the world, 130,000 instructors and around 9 million weekly workouts through our club partners and also through our streaming platform as well. So we are a group training company that really looks at the health and well-being of the planet. Now you spoke on a panel this morning about understanding the modern customer, didn't you? What did you contribute to that discussion? It was a really interesting discussion because we were talking about some of the research uh, from one of the panelists around the modern consumer um, and what the customer is now looking for. So with the changing demographic in the marketplace, particularly around Gen Z and millennials, we talked a little bit about the, the workforce. Now Forbes uh, have debated this, but it's estimated that around 75% of the workforce will be made up of Gen Z and millennials by 2025. So with that in mind, the changing face of the consumer is definitely there. The pandemic has changed the way that people consume goods, the way that they're looking to integrate goods into their lifestyle, and also how quickly they want goods to be available. So we talked a lot about the nomadic nature of the population, how people want to work and train and live in different places. They want to be tied into a fixed base, and also looking at products becoming to market a lot quicker than they have done before. Right. Well, tell us more about that demographic then, that Gen Z demographic. How do they want to interact with brands, do you think? Well, the biggest thing is no longer are they looking at traditional search methods to engage with brands. For example, TikTok is the number one place for Gen Z to research a brand. They're more likely to engage with a product if it's got positive recommendations from like-minded individuals, so peers, other consumers. Rather than in the past, we'd look on Google, we'd look at a, a rating, and we'd decide based on reviews there. Now it's about reviews through social channels. So FitTok in our industry, for example, is the hashtag they'll use, fitness and, and trends around TikTok. People will look at that and say, I want to engage with that brand because it has numerous positive con contributions. It also works in a negative connotation, but unless you're working or marketing in that space, you're less likely to get that engagement. So that really plays into your brand strategy, does it, at Les Mills? You've got to be creating a lot of content for TikTok, I guess. A lot of content for that younger population and also innovating our products. We launched our first pro program, Body Pump, which is world-renowned and probably our most successful back in 1997 on a global perspective. The consumer were different. In 2012, we launched the hit program for millennials. The consumer was different. We've now pivoted and changed. So we've got to understand what that consumer demographic is and understanding how we meet that consumer demand. Yeah. Now, a big talk uh, at FinTech Talents here in London today is around embedded finance. So I'd be really curious to know how you think you can bring embedded finance into Les Mills. This was an interesting conversation because I'll, I'll be honest and say that from, from my perspective, I, I, I work in the fitness side of our business and look at our products and how that changes people's lifestyles and contributions. Really embedded finance, though, is about behavior change. And that's what ultimately we do. We're in the fitness business, which is the motivation business. How do we change people's behaviors and motivations with what they do? So embedded finance doesn't necessarily just mean uh, having an ability to look onto an app for subscriptions or for a finance platform with an open API across different accounts. How do we link that with behavior change in fitness as well? So 
We talked a lot about this in the panel and I talked to my panelists about this before we came to the event. I've spoken to our chief digital product officer. How does that live in the future? It is a future focused consideration for Les Mills. It isn't something we're doing right now, but in the future we'll look at how we create that lifestyle habit, both with training, engagement, and also embedded finance. Do you think that opens up new revenue streams for Les Mills as well? I think it has to. Really the, the revenue is generated through a number of different channels that we have. But we've got to also look at how we get our products to market faster. And we've got to pay for that through different revenue streams. So it's definitely something to consider. That's going to be fascinating to see how you bring that kind of embedded finance solutions into the business. But Carl McCartney, thank you for joining me here today. Thank you for having me. Joining me now is Peter Dignan. He's head of Piston Heads Engineering and Consumer Engagement at CarGurus. Nice to see you here today, Pete. Nice to see you, Graham. Start by giving us an introduction maybe to CarGurus and the specific brand you work for, Piston Heads. Yeah, so CarGurus was founded in USA in 2006 by Langley Steinhardt. So he's one of the co-founders of TripAdvisor. It's the number one automotive marketplace in the USA and we're trying to bring it to the UK and, and become that in the UK as well. Um, the kind of vision statement for CarGurus is we're building a destination that gives consumers and dealers the confidence to buy, own, and sell the cars in the right way, anywhere, um, at the right price um, for them, really. So it's really just trying to make that automotive buying journey as easy and transparent as possible, and that's what we brought to the market to start off with. We brought a sort of product called Instant Market Value, which tells you whether a car's overpriced, and some competitors have borrowed that in the UK. So it's about that transparent stuff, and we operate in, um, say, USA, Canada, and the UK. Piston Ed is part of that CarGurus family. It was bought back in 2019 to try and extend the UK market. It's the number one site for UK premium performance and collectible cars and has more Ferraris for sale than Autotrader, so that kind of shows you where the niche sits. Uh, we're a destination for car lovers, so those who want to talk, buy, read, engage, massive enthusiasts on cars, we're the place to go for that kind of knowledge. And really what we're trying to do is turn those sort of dreams of owning those cars into reality by giving you all the tools you need to do that. Yeah, sounds great. Now, how do you approach customer experience at CarGurus? Yeah, so consumer experience kind of splits into two different, two different segments. So as a marketplace, you've got a satisfied dealer experience, you've got to satisfy the consumer experience. And with the consumer experience, there's just three key things that people are looking for. They're looking to see if it meets my criteria, whether I'm getting a good price, or whether I the car's reliable at the end of the day because they don't want it to break down. It's, it's what they use as, um, as sort of transport. From the dealer side, they're trying to maximize their profits, but they also need to satisfy that consumer experience as well. So it's about giving tools to actually help that all work across the board. And what about embedded finance? There's a lot of talk about embedded finance here at FinTech Talents. How can that play into the customer engagement and enhance that for you? I think we've seen a transition, especially through the COVID times, of moving that buying journey fully online. Um, as part of buying it fully online, you need to have the tools there to make that work. And car buying is one of those really expensive purchases. I think people are getting slightly more comfortable to buy the full car online. There's been entrances to the market who have who've done that. And where Embedded Finance sits in is, is you need a way to finance a car. A majority um, of people are kind of looking for a monthly price rather than overall price. And being able to surface that up in the consumer journey is really key to making that work. And embedding finance is, is part of one of those things to make that work and have that digital deal and, and be able to sit at home and buy a car and get it delivered to you as part of that in one site is, is really key to us. So that's really clear how it works from the customer side. How do you make money from it? 
So to make money from it is, is tricky in the UK, so it's a little easier in the US because I think there's more margins to play. So the challenge of making money from it is that us selling more cars and people being more interested in cars means we have more dealers on site. So there is that kind of um, impact of dealers wanting to advertise us because we've got consumers who've got a great experience. Uh, we also got a little play in with the finance partners. So if we're sending stuff to the finance partners, we can get a little payback from that as an introducer fee. But ultimately, I think what we want to be as part of that transaction. So we want to take a small percentage of, of, the, of the transaction fee and a small percentage of that finance deal that's actually happening there, which is tough because you don't want to disseminate the dealers who also have finance deals. So it's about trying to surface those finance deals that the dealers have to give them a good experience to the consumers so they actually understand how much they're paying and what they're buying and what they can afford. And just to finish up here, what would you say your priorities are over the next 12 months in terms of consumer engagement? I think the priority for us is, is one, um, we're trying to help everyone sell cars in the best way and buy cars in the best way. So on Piston Heads, we've launched an auction product which um, allows you to, for enthusiast shoppers where you don't know the price of the car, it's really key, is to actually have an auction product so someone can sell in that way. But the ultimate thing is we want people to buy and sell and own cars in any way which is suitable for them. So it's building the tools that help that with digital deal to do fully online or auctions if you want to sell um, in a way you don't know the car and buy for auctions to see if you can get a bargain is, is really key for us to try and grow in the automotive sector in the UK. Well, I now know where to come when I need to buy my next car. So, And if you want to buy a Ferrari, you have more Ferraris than anyone else. So come <laughs> to business. Peter Dignan, thanks for joining me here today. Thank you very much. I'm with Andre Muller. He's Global Payments Manager, Ellie, at Volkswagen Group. Nice to see you here, Andre. Nice to have you here. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. Now, you've just spoken on a panel session about what it means to be a customer-centric organization. How would you define that? How much time do you have? <laughs> so, we got five uh, minutes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, ramp up. Um, from our point of view, uh, it's, it's quite a little bit complicated to see uh, our company as a customer-centricity company, or the points on, on customer-centricity. Because um, I'm original, before I joined Ali, I was like, I'm coming from, from the e-commerce sector where the customer-centricity is, hold the customer as long as you can in the shop, bring him to the out, uh, checkout process and then get him out very smoothly without any any problems. In our world at Ali it is uh, just a little bit more complicated. We are in charge of, for the European Union, for, for the European area and uh, for our volume brands like Skoda, uh, Volkswagen, Cooper, Seat and Audi himself and all these uh, manufacturer have other challenges for their apps. So we are part of the app they are using. If the customer is charged up the car, then we are behind that. But also with our own brand, Ellie, we also have an, uh, have an app outside where we're talking about to all e-mobility drivers. So it doesn't count which brand they are using. And in that case, you have different challenges from the customer centricity side. So. The onboarding process is always the same. The customer comes in, makes uh, set up his account, uh, give us his payment, and in the best case, he chose one of our three tariffs. And in that case, well, when it gets worse, we don't see the customer for six months because he's a house owner and charge up his car at home. But then in the summertime, he's going to, to Spain with the whole family and everything has to work. And this combination of challenges with the focus to the customer is challenging every day 
from the part of our own brand to the parts of the brands of the uh, of the Volkswagen Group himself. Okay. And what about from a payments perspective specifically? What are the challenges you face in that area? Um, from the payment uh, point of view, we have uh, the challenge of, of risk and fraud prevention, uh, detection, uh, prevent our company from fraud, which starts on the KYC process so that we get the real address of the company. Company, uh, the, the customer, sorry, but uh, it will be also going through the payments with one-time payments, with uh, one-time credit cards, which is at the moment a little mess for us. For for example, we have a, a big discussion with Revolut from UK because uh, we we are the company um, of challenging that they reduce uh, of the 20 one-time credit cards down to four. That's our work, yeah. <laughs> because we had a lot of problems with fraudsters in, in that case. And um, here, yeah, one main challenge in payments in our apps is uh, preventing, uh, uh, preventing risk and fraud, but also hold the customer in the subscription service that he will charge with us. And also, uh, in the end of the day, KYC process in the beginning, but also have the right setup for, the, for, for each country in Europe because you have main payments like PayPal or credit card but beside to this you have much more payments on local side areas so for example Austria EPS is it the right payment for our subscription service open banking for example which I uh, I highly involved now or uh, doing analysis uh, is it a potential payment for us and we realize no, because it's not subscription-based service and something like that. So in the end of the day, keep the interaction down with the customer, but make the payment work. Talk to me a little bit more about fraud prevention and how concerned are you about things like AI and that getting in the hands of the fraudsters? I was last week on a conference in Hamburg, a payment summit, where one of our partners were presenting AI and uh, machine learning uh, as the next thing as part of fraud prevention. And I highly support this because the, the biggest challenge in fraud and risk prevention is to catch the wave in front of the fraudsters. Always, and there it doesn't count if you are talking about e-commerce, charging or whatever, always we are in a risk and fraud prevention behind the fraudsters. They are running in front of us and we are reacting to what they are doing and hoping we catch the wave to be in front of them. And that's, uh, in that case, I think AI and also machine learning will help us a lot of, uh, uh, help us a lot of detecting and protection our systems, yeah. totally. It's a bit of a race, isn't it, between uh, it is, you it know, is, it who's is. going to come out on top. So The, the good thing there was, uh, or the bad thing now is, uh, in e-commerce, I had the feeling, uh, the company I worked before was a, a big DIY store in Europe. There I had the feeling, yeah, we win the race. We are in front of the fraudsters, uh, of protecting the systems, protecting the shops and something like that. But then I'm moving uh, to the charging service. Oh, okay. New challenge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look, it's going to be a huge challenge, but um, we wish you all the best for all the work you're doing at LE. Andre Muller, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me. 
a big thank you once again to all my guests who took the time to come and speak with me here on Andaria's stand at the FinTech Talents Festival in London. Really hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please do follow us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to contribute to the conversation, you can do that on LinkedIn and all the other social media channels. Finally, if you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can do that via the contact form on the website at c But for now, thanks for listening and goodbye.